0: Welcome to Two Guys in a Microphone, two not-so-middle-aged guys sitting around talking about God, theology, pop culture, and some things that we think you might find interesting that we have discussed over the last 30 years. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Here's the show. This is take two of a pretty good conversation we had the other day, but uh, so or the other day, this morning. Um, no, but uh, so we're, we're going to—so um, in this episode, what we're hoping to do is discuss— um, uh, discuss deconstruction um, and what it means and how it's being used and, and, and we're actually going to use it also to set up a few other things that uh, they'll come down the line that I think will be fun for everybody. Um, this is our second episode. Um, so uh, two guys in a microphone, uh, two not so middle-aged guys, right? Uh, trying to uh, understand. I'm, I'm Stu Sheckler. This is Dale Kesterson. So, Hello there. There it is. Yeah. And uh, we, uh, we have been talking deconstruction and Things of that nature for for years actually, um, and and so we want to dive in. One of the things I want to do first though is I want to I want to uh, define deconstruction, which is really odd. Um, as we've said before, uh, defining deconstruction seems to defy deconstruction. Um, a little bit, yeah. Because <laughs> <coughs> deconstruction is a. Um, um, it is a linguistic term, you know, epistemology, all that stuff. Um, and it was originally um, used by uh, linguists, uh, specifically a linguistic philosopher named Jacques Derrida. Um, he was working off of a guy named uh, René de um But it was also used, in, uh, used a little bit by um, uh, a fellow named uh, Michel Foucault, um, who actually didn't like the term deconstruction, but actually was using history to really kind of do the same movement, Um, but it's mainly a linguistic term. Um, And so the the actual use of it um, talks in terms of uh, uh, signs and signified. So what I think I mean and what I say I mean and what you hear I mean, right? So in other words, I can say uh, the thing that I'm holding my hand is a cup, Um, but we understand that because... You um, and I use the same word cup in English. Yeah. We have
1: the same understanding of what the word means. Therefore, we can be pretty confident that when we use the word, the other person's going to interpret it the way we intend it. Right. Okay.
0: And so deconstruction, then, is a questioning of that. Because in France, I may use a different word. In Spain, I'll use a different word. In China, I would use a different word. But mean the same object, Mm -hmm. right? Because... They don't share the same English vernacular we do, and so what deconstruction actually does is it takes um, it takes uh, takes that idea and says, well, why are why have things been favored over the other? Like, why has uh, the word cup been favored around the world as opposed to the Spanish word for cup, which I don't know what is off the top of my head, um, but you know what I'm saying? Why why has that that happened? And that sounds all good, right? I mean, you you get it. Like, if I want to. Cup and I'm in France, and I say, Hey, I need a cup, and I just raise my voice. That doesn't mean I'm getting a cup. I'm just, I'm gonna have to use my hands to drink my coffee if I don't know the French word for it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so, so we do have to have those shared ideas, but we also have to acknowledge the fact that not everybody has the same shared ideas we do, you know, if, we, if we're not fluent in one language or the other, right? Um, but the problem is, over time, we've said there's one thing that means uh, the same thing for everyone always, okay? Uh, Derrida used the term transcendental signified, like there is one idea that always encompasses all things for all time, and um, and he took he took um, uh, he took that apart and said I'm not sure that that actually exists, right? Yeah. And and that's where the term deconstruction actually comes from. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. So he's applying it to linguistics, but uh, of course. You know, it, it spreads out into a lot of other concepts and really kind of a uh, precursor to kind of postmodernism and, right. the you know, the whole relativism and um, absence of absolute truth and things like that. Because right. can we really, can we really trust uh, that what someone else is saying is what I understand them to be saying? And can we ever really know what truth is if it's primarily conveyed in words which right. can't be nailed to a
0: wall. Right. And yeah. it, that's the funny thing because if, if, I, if I sit here and talk about things like cups or salt shakers or chairs, right, it, it actually makes a bit of sense, right? But then what if I applied the same concept to truth? Yeah. Same yeah. concept to God. Uh-huh. Same concept to You know, society, Uh you know, and all of a sudden we have these issues like, for instance, um, uh, black and white. Right. So for years, white has been superior, thought as superior to black. And I'm talking a lot of times with people, but we even use it in the metaphorical sense, too, In that way. You know, white is good. Black is bad, that kind of thing. Sure, um, but and so what happens is a certain people group then becomes favored over another people group, and the only way that you can actually understand um, why that happened and how we can find some equality is by reversing it and putting black as favored over white and seeing the absurdity then of the whole construct, right? And so when so if I put so if I put black over white. Um, and I say, see, you're going to have some of the same problems and new problems that you didn't have when you had white over black. And all of a sudden, you're like, well, then something's wrong with the system, not just who is favored, because you shouldn't really be favoring either of those things. You should define some equality between the two of them. And therefore, you begin to de- – that's the deconstructing moment. That's when you start taking things apart and laying them down. Like, um, and, and, and then we get into the complexity of that whole idea Right? And so, you, you know, like you said, you can see the route that you would take then to relativism and, yeah. you know, sus- yeah. uh, suspiciousness of truth mm-hmm. or truth claims, I guess you would say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
1: So, a couple of things, like I mentioned earlier, uh, one thing that helped me kind of wrap my mind around this was thinking back to a time in my life where yeah. um, I put it in terms of light colors. Right. Um, looking at... Looking at the world, I, I remember having this conversation with several different people and everybody looked at me like I was nuts, like, so when we look at the color orange, how do I know that what you see is the same thing that I see? Even though we, we, we both call this color orange, un- unless I'm really inside your brain, I don't right. know that you're seeing really the same thing. We're, mm-hmm. just, we're just using the same
0: term. Mm-hmm
1: um, for this color. And we, you know, can maybe describe it a little bit like it's a, it's a warm color. It's, it's a combination of red and yellow, those kinds of things. But yeah, colors can be, they might be a little bit subjective. Right. Um, and so that really kind of helped me to understand, um, ultimately is, is that kind of what Derrida and others were doing with words and terminologies, it's a little right. easier to see how people might interpret them, yeah. you know, differently based on where they're coming from.
0: Right. Because um, if you say orange and I say naranja, which is, right, Spanish, I do know that Spanish word. Oh, man. you uh, know uh,
1: Spanish, but you don't, what was the other I word? don't know cup. Like, okay. how, did okay. get, how did I get, how did I do that? Yeah. Um,
0: uh, that, that's the way my brain works sometimes. It's just like, uh, I know certain things, but not other things. Um, it's weird uh anyway so so what ha- so so if I know the so if you use the term orange and I use the term naranja, we know what we're and, and we understand that we understand English and Spanish, then we know what each other's talking about, and we're pointing to the same thing, pointing to the same color, but even in the nuance of that, we're not sure you know are we talking about the same shade are we talking yeah, about the same yeah. you know
1: does your brain interpret it the same way right um that that neurological stimulus or whatever that's coming through your optic nerve. Um, but that's not what most people think when they hear, when we're using the word deconstruction today, right? Right. Right. Um, in that conversation, most people are using it in terms of some kind of like shedding away of their belief systems. Mm-hmm. Um or specifically like their faith or their, their religious upbringing. Right. Oh, I, I deconstructed, um, a lot of times that means I, I walked away from my right faith that I was raised with or, mm-hmm. or something like that, or, or at the very least, um, and, and I think this is probably more accurate. I, I broke it down and rethought it. Yeah which is, I think, the healthier way to go. Sure. You know, um, sometimes people use the, the term deconstructing faith um, when really they're, they're just abandoning it. Right. Um, you yeah. Know, and so that's kind of why, through all these conversations we've had about this, we want to come back around and, and spend some time really just defining what deconstruction means. Right.
0: Yeah, because the, the, so if you follow your train of thought there, what they see, what folks seem to be rubbing up against, uh, I think, today um, when they talk about deconstruction is the construct idea because it, they don't get so much into linguistics as they do, well, those words or those things maybe point to a larger construct. Like uh, um, how, how does faith work? How does church work? Um, in in the context we're talking about, I mean, you can talk about all kinds of other things in the, in that, and I think they they begin to rub up or it like they're it's deconstruction adjacent, but like we've talked yeah. about, you 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 can't just throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh-huh. You might want to question how church works, but do you question who God is? You know, and how far do you go with that? Right. right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Unless. You're using that term because you really just want to be free of the whole thing. There you go. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, and it's uh, you're intentionally tying all those things together um, and finding parts of it that are intolerable to you, right. and therefore you're just ditching the whole thing. Right. But yeah. that's not healthy.
0: Yeah. I, see, I think that that's the that's that's the rub of it, right? Is if we if we start to talk about um, uh, constructs that have helped us understand God or understand faith, and see that there are limitations to those things, or the or uh, even in certain cases, bad parts of those things or toxic parts of those things, um, we should deconstruct them and we should take them apart. But understand, I think what I think this is what Swoboda was getting at in his book uh, After Doubt, right? That we don't we we don't necessarily throw out um, throw out God or a pursuit after God in this. The whole idea of us going, hey, that's not consistent. Church shouldn't look like that. I don't think that's faith. Um, is all because we're pursuing God instead of trying to reject God and like i i mean here's yeah. the thing if you yeah. don't if you don't want to have faith it's okay there's you know god loves you, you know, i love you i it'll be fine you you know i'll walk you through that but don't try to deconstruct and say everything is bad because of it because not everything is bad there are bad features and we need to take things apart sometimes to actually understand them and that's what it means to doubt or deconstruct or have a you know have a well one guy actually said um, that's part of sanctification, you know, that big theological term for, you know, uh, working out your faith. You know, uh, yeah. working out your salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul said. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's that whole idea of of uh, oh I, I, I don't think I learned something new, or I understood a historical point differently, or I heard somebody else reinterpret that passage, and I really like the way they did it, and that helps me or gives me insight. You know, and it, it actually is a, a step of growth, but that also means I may have to reject some things. You know, and that feels like deconstruction as well. And yeah. there's nothing wrong with that.
1: Yeah, I think you know, some <coughs> there's, there's a there's a small stream theologically of of people from a from a certain background that you know view that sanctification that process like right. it's not a process; it's an instantaneous, like an an act of grace, something that kind of God just zaps you with once and for all, and you're there. But I think most people understand it as a lifelong process. Where you're growing, um, I think some people maybe tend to think of it primarily in terms of your behaviors and mm-hmm. getting more and more holy right. or pure, um, but, it's, but it's also a constant refining of your understanding of God, mm. of God's will for your life, um, your belief systems, yeah. you know, those kinds of things. And so when it comes down to that, um, yeah. Sanctification is a good um, maybe substitute word to use yeah. instead of deconstruction um, because a lot of people, when they use the term deconstruction, maybe they're, you know, what they really mean is uh, demolition. Yeah, right. Like, rather than like a restoration um, or a, uh, like a rehabilitation. Right. Uh, yeah. We've used the analogy um of like rehabbing a house mm-hmm. and um, talked a lot about how I, I live in a historical neighborhood where there's a lot of people buying up these hundred year old houses and investing in all kinds of money in them, basically gutting the house in order to kind of rebuild it from the inside out. Right. On the outside, there's still certain things they have to put in certain kind of windows, use certain kind of shutters and paint the house certain colors in order to fit the historical context. But, you know you walk into this 100 year old house and it's got this brand spanking new modern kitchen in it right in order to make it function in the 21st century well mm-hmm. right um they didn't just walk in and set off a bomb and destroy the whole house they yeah. they came in and reworked the things that needed to be worked and saved the parts that were still good right um and uh you know you've got something new and functional and and still bringing life you know, the neighborhood right so yeah I think that's a better way to look at it right well and if we
0: can if we can do we can actually practice our faith like that mm-hmm. because I mean, I mean I guess there's that old analogy or whatever illustration of how we you know present the gospel, or how we share the gospel. It's 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 a, it's it's an old story in a new package. Kind you know, the of thing. four spiritual
1: laws. That right. what you're talking about? Right. right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. Right.
0: Or no, I'm actually talking about the bridge illustration. No. Oh, okay. I'm, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But you, you know what I'm getting at is like it's like the it, it, it's it's this idea that we we when we interpret scripture and when we hear what Jesus is saying or when we hear what you know um, one one of the other writers of the uh, New Testament Old Testament are saying. And, and we, we begin to re-look at our lives and go, well, that can be applied in a different way in the 21st century than it was, say, in the 18th century or the 19th century or the 20th century even. You know, we, we're not dealing with the same problems. We're not dealing with the same um, group, groups of people. Um, we, we all have different technologies that, that have um, changed our lives in each of those eras. And as we apply them, they look they look different. And I think that that's one way of looking at it. Like I can, and sometimes I need to take apart what has been passed on to me and say, okay, which parts of these actually apply or help me today, and which are cumbersome pieces that were cultural back in you know in the previous eras.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we, can, we can get accused of, of liberalism right there for sure. You know, I mean, I, I was just like this echo in my head of uh, God is the same yesterday, today and forever, you know, and, and yeah. unchanging. And it's like, yeah, God's unchanging. But, you know, the way the commands of Jesus apply in our society now, um, are they are going to look different than yeah. they did uh, at times in the past.
0: Yeah. yeah, my grandfather was not dealing with uh, the internet and all that it brings, Right, you know, when he was trying to work out his salvation, you know, in the early 20th century, yeah. right? But, uh, but he was dealing with cars and he was dealing with, you know, which weren't being dealt with in the 1800s and which weren't being dealt with, you know, beyond that. And that's, I think that's part of this idea that I had to rework my faith for a, for, for a modern era um, in order to apply it properly, you know? How do I deal with social media and live out my faith, you know? And yeah. to really understand that, sometimes I need to take apart what it means to live out my faith in the 21st you know twenty first century uh-huh. in order to begin to apply it, um, which is part of
1: this. I don't think it's all of it,
0: but I think it's part of it, right? Yeah,
1: and, and I think the thing to remember is, you know, what ultimately is at the center of, you know, when we talk about... When we talk about religion, you know, when we talk about Christianity, um, you know, ultimately Jesus is what's at the very center of it, right? You know, Jesus, Jesus' teachings, um, and even looking at the New Testament, you can see periods of well, they applied this in in this way in this setting, and then maybe it's applied a little bit differently in a, in another setting. Um, but ultimately, I think. Part of the problem of why we're even having to deconstruct and um, or or renovate our faith is that it's just got kind of Jesus uh, at the center, you know. It's it's uh, it's gotten kind of uh, congealed and and mucked up with all kinds of other things. And you know, when we think about the. Uh, The political side, the you know, the nationalism and um think about um just all kinds of other aspects of our faith that have gotten kind of mixed up in cultural things that might be adjacent to it, but not not directly um tied to it in concrete ways. And so um heard people talk about unbundling, Mm, you know. Yeah. You can save a ton by bundling your Right. Home and car insurance, right? Or back in the days of the telecommunication companies. So, you know, it's it's cheaper if you get your home phone and your mobile phone and your cable all from one company. Right. right. Um, we've bundled our political lives and our social lives yeah. and our theological lives all together. Church lives. Right. And, uh Know, sometimes what deconstruction might require is a little bit of an unbundling where we separate those things and say, yeah, yeah I can reevaluate this without losing the core thing
0: yeah over here. Yeah and that's and I think that's that's key, right because if I'm if we whatever illustration we use, whether it's um, you know uh, restoration or if it's unbundling or something of of that nature. Now we've got
1: so many metaphors here,
0: right. We whichever it is, right? We use that that's helpful. the The idea is is that, um, um, which I'm going to use another metaphor, which we've really re- relied on. You can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, and and the thing is, is is that the centerpiece, like you were saying, is got to be Jesus. It's got to be my pursuit of Him. If my pursuit of Him causes me to Go. Um, that doesn't seem to work the way we thought it worked, or that doesn't seem to work today the way it did once in the past. Um, we have to, we can't be sold to it. And I think a lot of folks, especially like our kids' age, right? They're dealing you know, millennials to Gen Z. They're, they're actually um, they're, they're actually seeing it all bundled up and cannot a, a lot of times see how you can differentiate between the two. You know, and and, and that um, and and that tells me that. Um, they're either running towards something that um, somebody gave them and they haven't investigated on their own, or if they have investigated it on their own, they, they don't see where it's actually not tied together. right? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and so um, it's almost revolutionary. Like when I've, when I've talked to my old kids and I'm going, I'm going, well, those things aren't really connected to each other. They were This was added here. It was added there. Like, wait a minute. That's like, yeah, now you feel like somebody sold you something that wasn't true, and it makes you want to throw it out. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, but, but the, safe p- the safe place of that is to go, no, you're working something out, and that's a good thing. And so let me help you do that. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah, that's one of the things, that's one of the other pieces of this that I think is, is super important as we go into it is um, deconstruction is not bad um, at all. Right. Um, like, you know, what did Dr. Faust teach us? The, the opposite of faith is, is, is not doubt. Right. It's, it's unbelief. It's unbelief. Right. Yeah. It's obvious. Right. And so, so the idea then is, is that as, as we go into this, having a doubt or wanting to deconstruct or rethink what you, what you thought you believed is not a bad thing. But what you probably do need is somebody to walk you through. To actually remind you, yeah, doubt's okay. Yeah. But don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And yeah, maybe even several someones. Yeah, right, <laughs> you know, exactly. Different
1: things, different points of view. Um, yeah, I, the thing I keep coming back to, you know, we, and, and we've talked about this idea of foundationalism, mm-hmm. you know, before. It's like, okay, can we, if you are doing that renovation, um, and so you can strip things down to the, to the foundation but what is that foundation yeah. you know well it's jesus jesus teaching i think you know in at the very end of the sermon on the mount jesus ends with that analogy of the the wise person who built their house on a foundation of of stone mm-hmm. of rock um versus the one that built the house on on a on a surface of of sand and mm-hmm. so um you know his conclusion is then. You know the the person is blessed the who who builds their house on teaching yeah and and I think you know specifically that's applying to you know the things um, most precisely to to the things that he taught in that the preceding chapters there Matthew five six and seven and right. the Sermon on the Mount and um, it behooves us to kind of keep. Him and those teachings central, right. and then yeah, let's kind of constantly be reworking what's going on around it and testing it and trying it out, and it's okay to question. Yeah,
0: and it's okay to make mistakes, right? I mean, it's okay to the to, to fumble it and go, oh wait a minute, I can re I can redo that, I can give it a try. Yeah, that's the crazy part about the word, you know, sin. It's an archery term that means to miss the mark, and so when you're learning how to shoot archery. You know, shoot a bow and arrow, you you make a lot of mistakes and you go get the, the arrows and you change your stance and give it another shot. Yeah that's the great part of I think what we're doing is it's there's a grace orientation to it. Yep. Like you're you're working this out. Like it's okay. You don't have to have it figured out right away. Um but you just but but keep working at it, keep going after it. Um the and, and I and I don't want to, you know the thing with deconstruction is is when I hear people say it, um, <clears throat> I get I get I get worried because um, it can easily be misconstrued as um, uh, I have to be relative or I have to you know um, uh, I, I have to become more accepting of other people because my faith has said that these other people are going to hell, and th- that worries me that people have this negative connotation of that. Um, When in reality, what Jesus is telling us is to love your neighbor, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from. And the fact that um, people are hearing uh, a different message from Jesus, um, or the church is portraying maybe a different message from Jesus, worries me. Because um, because that means, at the very least, our communication skills and our communication is not good you know and that f- people feel like they have to deconstruct something in order to find health yeah you know
1: again yeah well and sometimes you'll hear you know people people will use that term i'm i'm deconstructing and really like we said earlier they're just they're just kind of maybe even looking for a reason to, to right. abandon their faith other times people use the term and they're genuinely kind of questioning things and wanting to break things down and, and make their faith their own. And, and, and then you hear other people who are maybe on the outside of it, and when they hear the word deconstruction, you know, their, their assumption is that everybody who uses that word is in that first group, yeah. those who are just, just chucking everything. Because oh they just they're just looking for an excuse to sin more yeah you know yeah and uh, so ultimately and here's the ironic part when somebody uses the word deconstruction it behooves us to stop and say what do you mean by that
0: right 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 um, yeah because if you as you clarify you actually begin to understand what the person's going through yeah right and so I mean we can sit here and talk theory and we can sit here and talk you know oh this is the um, uh, this is the definition of a word that doesn't like definitions, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Um, we can we can sit here and do that all day. But in reality, um, this actually doesn't make as much sense until you hear the story of, of, of somebody who went through it. Yeah. Right? Like, uh, like, how did it affect me? Why did I go through it? Why did I choose to do it? And, and I, I know when you and I both went through it at different times, we may have stumbled upon the term deconstruction. I know I did. Um, yeah, you know, in, yeah, in my you were, story, you were
1: studying a little more in detail right. some of these philosophers, and
0: right? But the thing, the thing is, is I still in my original the original uh, development of that in my own story, I didn't uh, even have the word deconstruction um, until um, a few years into it, and 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 that's but see, my story began with me being disgruntled and um, not knowing if what was happening in my life was actually Christianity or some weird version of it, you know, was I in a cult or something, you know, kind of thing. Uh-huh. And and so is that, but so, but once you understand what I'm going through, then you begin to understand how the movement of what we're calling deconstruction actually works. Because um, otherwise it's theoretical and we have to talk about signs and signifieds and transcendental stuff and like yeah. nobody knows what you're yeah. talking about. Right. Yeah. Um, so um, what do you mean? That's not orange. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Exactly. Like, yeah. Why is the sky blue? That's now that's a legitimate and, and, question. <laughs> and the reality is,
1: yeah, beyond beyond just the theoretics of it uh, and the philosophy behind it, there are so many people going through it right now. Right. And it's um, it's not a few isolated cases. Right. The 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 whole world, church in America and Western culture, it is. Being turned upside down by this phenomenon, no matter how we label it, and so yeah, getting into the stories is going to be a helpful way to uh, kind of help us uh, dig down and see what's going on.
0: So you had uh, you you brought up a, um, an illustration that Brian Zahn used that I thought was was super helpful about. Um, uh, the, uh, about the painting. The, about the painting. Oh, that I thought was really good. Yeah, cool. yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, he he talks about um, Brian Zahn is a, a pastor and an author. Um, he's really kind of helped me a lot over the years, and um, but yeah, he he uses that analogy of uh, demolishing a house versus mm-hmm. restoring a house. But he also uh, uses the example of like uh, a restoring a painting. Yeah. Where rather really? than um, finding an old painting you know, that's just completely lost its luster and it's not what it used to be rather than just throwing the whole thing out. You, you take it to a professional and somebody who can carefully go over it and remove what needs to be removed but leave the paint that needs to remain yeah, in order yeah. to bring the beauty of that picture out, um, getting rid of all those years of buildup and whatever might be on there in order to... Restore that painting to what it was originally intended to be.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's so. So as we tell our stories um, over the next few episodes, um, what I'm hoping is is that um, that's what we begin to do for people, but also maybe a little bit for us, because we're we're even though we have may have gone through deconstruction, we're still becoming, right? Yeah. too, and we're still scraping more of that off. And seeing who we really are supposed to be, who God intended when He when He made us, if you will, and um, and I think that that's um, that's going to be super important as we go through through this. And hopefully, anybody listening, um, all you new listeners out there, we hope that that's what you begin to do is you keep this beautiful painting up, um, but you start to strip back the layers of years. That that are not helpful or relevant, and you see this beautiful picture of who Jesus is um, behind all of that gunk, um, which is which is our heart. This is what we want. So yeah, absolutely. So uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for taking the time to to be with us. Um, We hope uh, that you've enjoyed it, and um, and you know like us. um, You know hit hit uh, hit the subscribe button even if that's something you want to do. And, um, and do give us a, a rating on whatever platform you're, you're listening on because it does help. Um, so uh, thanks. We'll talk to you guys later. Thanks for listening to Two Guys in a Microphone. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a moment. See you next time.